0: Welcome to the Shmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Adam Imavar. Adam is the artistic director of Theater J, the nation's largest and most prominent Jewish theater, having served in that role since 2015. He's also served as the associate artistic director of Tony Award-winning McCarter Theater, Princeton, New Jersey, and the resident director of Passage Theater in Trenton, New Jersey. He served on the producing team of multiple productions that have transferred to Broadway and Off-Broadway, including the world premiere of Christopher Durang's Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike, which won the Tony Award for the Best Play. As a director, his work has been seen across the world, from Aspen to Zimbabwe. He's directed Off-Broadway and at many of the nation's premier regional theaters, such as the Macardo Theater... Walnut Street Theater, Cleveland Playhouse and others. He's a recipient of both the New Jersey Theater Alliance Applause Award and the Farrelly Dickinson University Center for Nonprofits Emerging Nonprofit Leader Award. Welcome, Adam.
1: Thank you, Lisa.
0: So happy that you're here to join me today. I will confess that, um, the theater's been on my radar for a really long time, and every time I get to D.C., it's, the timing is not right. So this is uh, a great opportunity for me to learn more about you and to have a chance to ask you questions, so, um, and our listeners, too. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about Theater J and um, also the, how the Yiddish Theater Lab is part of that larger umbrella?
1: Theater J is the nation's largest and most prominent Jewish theater company, we're a program of the Edlevich, DC Jewish Community Center. And the theater was founded 30 years ago uh, and produces a range of works that all deal with, wrestle with, grapple with, or explore the Jewish experience in some some form. Uh, so that's a little bit about who Theater J is. Interestingly, we're a fully professional theater, all uh, using the same artists that you see at all the other wonderful regional theaters in the Washington, DC area. Interestingly, our audience is about 60% Jewish and 40% not Jewish so we have a a real following throughout the community. In 2017 uh, I started the Yiddish Theatre Lab with a goal of exploring and discovering some of the forgotten masterpieces of the Yiddish Theatre. The the Yiddish Theatre as as you know was a a dominant cultural art form in this country as well and, and was incredibly prolific between 1870 and 1920 which when you think about it, it's almost as long as the American musical theater movement has been a dominant cultural art form in our world. Um, but yet only a handful of those plays have made it into the contemporary theatrical canon, and, and even those um, rarely. So I, I ask the question, what else is out there, and how would we discover it, and how would we learn a little bit about it in English translation, just as you would... Uh, produce a Chekhov, uh, uh, not necessarily in Russian, though I suppose you could. You produce it in English and let people appreciate the literature, the ideas, uh, and and the dramatic structure of it uh, in, in today's America. So we started it. We, we commission uh, playwrights to adapt Yiddish plays. We produce uh, Yiddish plays on our stage in English, and we do a lot of readings and workshops of uh, English translations to see what, what speaks today and to experiment and discover.
0: You know, I think that it's so interesting, as you say, there's a long history with a the theater of representing Jewish theater, and Yiddish theater is part of that <laughs> history, um, obviously. And it's, you know, having seen some plays in, in New York that have been translated from the Yiddish, it's interesting to see them in a, you know, now, and to think of them when they first came out. Um, And all of this, I think, sort of continues to inform that narrative arc of theater, Jewish theater, um, contemporary theater, et cetera. So what, for you, has been interesting in terms of going back to this work and and seeing how it might be presented today and and drawing from when it was originally written? yeah, I'm curious sure sort of what, yeah, how you've wrestled with that.
1: There's a number of things that uh, that have surprised me in my discovery about the Yiddish theater. And I feel like in many ways, I'm still only scratching the surface as, as all of us at Theater J are. One of them is, uh, you know, it's it's striking when you talk about doing Yiddish theater, there's some of the audience who says, Oh gosh. Ooh, I don't know if I want to see that. Uh, and, and when you interrogate it you discover it's there's this idea that it must have some old-timey shtetl shtick to it, right? It's like somehow it must right. be tacky and uh and not uh engaging and sometimes it must be very religious. Well, of course it's not very religious at all. Uh the 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 writers were incredibly secular and the plays are are um shockingly modern. I I, I often talk about one of my favorites, an Asip Dimov play called Bronx Express, set in an American Bronx uh, uh, subway car, uh, where a a recent immigrant, after having a conversation with a fellow immigrant, falls asleep in the car and and, uh, awakes in a dream to be confronted by the characters from the ads on the walls of the subway car come to life. And they're Mr. Clean and Aunt Jemima and the Doublemint Twins. And the play is all about assimilation and about grappling with American capitalism. Uh, It's a fascinating piece of work. It's not at all what people imagine when they think about the Yiddish theater. So that's been one of the really interesting things to discover is how far away it is from, uh, I think, what a lot of people's images of it are. The other thing that's really interesting, you know, because Yiddish theater isn't all we do. We're a Jewish theater company. And... So many of the Jewish plays that I encounter situate Jews in some ways as others, as outsiders, as oppressed, or as um, as people who are still struggling uh, generationally with the repercussions of the Holocaust, of the pogroms, of, of all sorts of other things. And I didn't really realize that until I started reading the the, the Yiddish theater some of which grapples with these things, but some of which just deals with worlds in which everyone is Jewish, because that's what these authors were assuming. And so sometimes they say prayers, sometimes they don't, but their Judaism is never, uh, uh, under attack. It is never a struggle. It is, they live in a Jewish world. And so their, their plays are about getting married or money or love or any of the things that, that, uh, uh, the, the joyful things that can happen in Jewish life, the tragic things that can happen in Jewish life, and there are, of course, also the joyful and tragic things that can happen in anyone's life. So that's been really interesting, yeah. too.
0: It, it seems to me, I think, everybody brings to this, or not everybody, I shouldn't say that, but it is, the, you know, the first perception is that they are going to be these nostalgic plays um, as you say about stedel life or whatever, but they were they were contemporary in their time. They dealt with issues of the time, uh, and there was relevance then. And bringing them back is interesting because you see them in a perspective, um, and you see you see some of the same issues that people are still dealing with um, in you know in the 21st century. Uh, so it's funny and. I've seen a couple of plays that have been, well, one was Rhinoceros. This isn't one of your productions, but Mm -hmm. um, just wondering how you think about it. I saw Rhinoceros uh, translated into Yiddish, and I'm not a Yiddish speaker, but uh, I went anyway, and I found it fascinating because it made me think about the audience of the time. And some plays almost felt as though they should have been originally performed in Yiddish because the audience for them um, would have found so much that reverberated or um, prompted conversation because it was relevant within that, um, you know, sort of aspects of their lives. And I wonder if you see that sort of interconnectedness when you're thinking about which of the Yiddish plays you want to develop um, and present relative to what you're doing, you know, on the you know the older part of the stage. I'm not sure how you would want me to refer to this, but the you know the sort of the Jewish theater umbrella.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to think about the extraordinary work that's happening right now and I think especially in New York of theater companies that are taking work and translating it into Yiddish. And uh, I was a huge fan of the Yiddish Fiddler on the Roof, as I know many were. Um, And it's a wonderful celebration of the language and uh, and our culture in a way. But to me, it's in some ways, as as fantastic as it is, it's also the exact opposite of what we're doing, which is taking the Yiddish plays and bringing them into English. And, And when I think about what the original goal of the Yiddish theater was for so many of these writers, they were writing in Yiddish because it was the most accessible language in their time. They were writing in Yiddish because not everyone spoke German or Russian or whatever language they spoke and Yiddish was the way they could reach the widest possible audience. So to me, there's something that feels very connected with what these writers we're doing then about the project that we're trying to do now, of taking their words and once again making them as accessible as we can. In terms of the work itself, you know, it's it's striking how revolutionary these writers were. Right now we're in a process, as we speak, of workshopping a play that we've adapted from uh, Hirschbein's Miriam. And Miriam is a a, a sort of very in some ways stereotypical seeming uh, uh play of the early 20th century. It was written in 1905, first in Hebrew and then in Yiddish. And the play follows a very um uh, uh sort of fallen woman arc uh from that time period of a of a woman who moves from the country into the city and lives in this poor house and eventually has a sort of one-sided love affair ends up getting pregnant, getting thrown out of the house, and in the final fourth act of the play, shows up in an attic in conversation with two other women, and you discover that all three of them are now Jewish prostitutes. And when you think about this play, you think, well, okay, so so Hirschwein is grappling with a sort of morality play as his As was known in the turn of the century, a very stereotypical kind of thing. But then he tacks on this fourth act, which is kind of revolutionary, which is about her next beginning and about the lives of these prostitutes and how they got there is the backstory. But what's ahead is sort of the most interesting and exciting part of it. And we're, we're dealing with this play in a very loose adaptation that, that is actually bringing it into the modern era, but entirely inspired by Hirschbein's writing. But it, it, it helps me to understand how what these writers were grappling with then can translate so terrifically into what we're grappling with now. The other thing that we're excited by doing is, is taking these plays and allowing them to be performed multiculturally now. Especially since they take place in entirely Jewish worlds, many of them, not all of them, uh, that where Jewishness is the uh, assumed identity, uh, uh, there isn't actually any audience confusion if you then cast it uh, multi ethnically, uh, because we understand us to be in a Jewish world. And that's what we did with um, our. Our production of uh Mirola Ephros*, which was actually the English language world premiere of one of the most popular plays of the Yiddish theater it had never been produced in English we did it under the title Jewish Queen Lear and we did it on our stage next to all of other, all of our other plays in this season so that it could speak with contemporary writers classic writers of the American theater and of course uh across time to in this case Jacob Gordon's time as a writer of the Yiddish theater
0: What's the process for you for selecting these works? And if I may also toss in one more part to that question. You do, um, you kind of workshop a number of plays over the course of a year that you select, and then you bring one or two sort of to a full performance. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. We like to describe it as alternating between research years and production years. And in research years, we're, we're treating the lab as a true lab. We're experimenting. So uh, we're looking at interesting translations that that come to us, that we request, that we are in contact with people about, that we dig out of libraries. And we we look at those translations and we take the most promising ones, but also sometimes just the most adventurous ones. And we put them into readings with terrific DC uh, genius directors. Uh, trying to help us shape them in a way that a contemporary audience will understand, cast them in a way that we'll understand. Um, Sometimes they incorporate puppets, I mean, all sorts of ways in which we try to take these plays and let these brilliant directors um, make them come alive. And so in those research years, we're we're just learning about them. And we call it a lab because we expect there to be failure at times. And that's the point, Uh, we're discovering something. discovering what transcends its time and place and speaks to us today and then in the other years uh, production years we dial back the readings and workshops a little bit and focus all of our attention on produce a full production of one of these plays Um, so in the coming uh, in 2021 in our coming season we've scheduled a beautiful adaptation of uh uh, Asip Dimov's play, alternately titled The Rented Bridegroom or Singer of His Sorrows, the adaptations by Rina Groff, a wonderful playwright, and it's called The Red Beads, and we'll be doing the world premiere of that adaptation in 2021 on our main stage. So that's the alternation. The, we also commission writers. So we we reach out to some of the most exciting writers writing today, and we say, would you like to take on a play that is in response to, in discussion with, uh, loosely inspired by, or a direct adaptation of one of these Yiddish plays, and so we have two commissions out right now to Lila Rose Kaplan and Alex Sobler, both uh, incredible uh, women writers who are who are truly revolutionary in their ways. So that's the that's the work we do. We're in, we're in dialogue with a lot of the wonderful Yiddish theater scholars around the the country and and constantly asking uh, what's coming in translations and what do they have stuck in their old files. And uh, the more of this work we do, the more translations we end up getting sent our way, which has been a a really fruitful process.
0: Well, it's very exciting. It sort of parallels what we're doing in terms of uh, bringing work in translation. Um, and to English readers, um, and you, there's just such a wealth of material out there, and I'm sure you're experiencing the same thing where you're just beginning to scratch the the, the surface of what what you could consider in terms of uh, developing these for performance. And I imagine that this must be you know any kind of creative process like this is a journey that you start out with some expectation of where you might be going, but along the way there are a lot of things that happen. So how is it for you, for for the person who is doing the translation, the um, playwright, uh, and for the cast to take this work and and reimagine it in many ways?
1: So that's a great question. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about um, The Jewish Queen Lear, which was the uh, translation by Nama Sandro that we did of uh, of Jacob Gordon's Mirala Ephros. You know, it was, it was really fascinating to take on a play that had been, I mean, in the early part of the 20th century, there were often multiple competing productions of this play on the Lower East Side, with different divas playing the role of Mirala Ephros. And if you read the scholarship, you can read about the different approaches they had and the different, you know, this one banged her stick and that one had her chair. and You know, it was all these, this sort of... Um, it's like Hamlet, right, where we know Olivier's Hamlet and Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. So so it was, it was fascinating to tackle something that had so much received understanding of itself as a performance and yet was completely a new play to all of us in the room. Uh, you know, when you tackle Hamlet, we've all seen it, we've all read it, we've all talked about it many times, but no one in that room had besides the Yiddish theater scholars that we brought in to help inform us and so it was a fascinating experience of trying to discover something using only the text and and to, to and and with something that is as rich and complicated a play as any of Shakespeare's classics are and as we did that um there was a sort of iterative process of going uh, uh deeper and deeper and deeper as we tried things again and again and again and and tweaked things just ever so slightly to discover more and more about who these characters were and how they operated. And then there was a whole other set of discovery when we brought an audience in, you know, and discovering just how funny it was and discovering how um, incredibly moving it was. Uh, That was a powerful part of the process too. And I should say we did all of this uh, in this production in collaboration with Georgetown University and their program in theater. So it was a, there was an academic component as well, which, which only served to enrich it even further.
0: So um, you've got two plays that will, as I like to say these days, take place in the virtual theaters uh, that we are all presenting. And, um, and I wonder if you could give a, we've talked a little bit about Miriam, but maybe just uh, a little bit about the date for that and how these will be, uh, you know, how people can access them, view them, what have you, and also for um, one of those, which is the second of the two plays that are coming up.
1: Yeah, so we, um, when uh, COVID-19 uh, struck, it became clear that we couldn't be gathering people in person, but we wanted to continue doing this work, um, and we were able to um, move our readings to an online platform. And actually, we're rehearsing online, too, which is a, 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 a fascinating new experiment for all of us Um, And it's proving to be a bit of an opportunity as well. Already we have uh, many hundreds of people signed up for these two readings, many more than we could have ever fit in our theatre, frankly. Um, So hopefully uh, it gives us an opportunity to reach people on a much larger uh, scale as well and and deliver this content to people. So the first is the play Miriam, which is a commissioned adaptation by Alex Sobler. It's going to be on June 7th at 5 p.m. for, for what is now a sold-out uh, Zoom reading. But then we're going to offer it uh, for free for three more days streaming on demand. And uh, to, to, to get access to it, people just have to visit our website, which is theaterj.org, theater spelled E-R. Uh, and, and you'll see a link right there for the Yiddish Theater Lab. And, and I should say about this adaptation... Alex has taken it in a, a, a thrilling place. She's, she's really started with Hirschbein's final act with the prostitutes and set it amongst uh, a trio of contemporary sex workers, one a black trans woman, another also a, a woman of color, and a, a sort of mysterious character named Miriam, who seems to share the backstory of Hirschbein's Miriam. It's a really uh, beautiful way to to take um, the play that was as shocking in 1905, as I'm sure his play was, and find a way to uh, have it speak as powerfully now as uh, it did then. The next reading um, is called, a play called One of Those, uh, originally written by Paula Prolutsky, who is one of the very few female Yiddish theatre writers that we've identified. Uh, she was born in 1876, and originally wrote in Polish, and then she switched to Yiddish, and it's translated by Alan Lewis Rickman, and it's in this case much more of a a, a, a fairly clear translation of the original than, than uh, as bold a uh, adaptation as uh, we're doing. And one of those with Miriam, and one of those will be uh, produced on June 18th at 5:30 p.m. Eastern on Zoom. And then it will be available to stream until June 21st. And uh, tickets for that are free. And they're, again, on our website, theaterj.org.
0: Great. So uh, for our listeners, I encourage you to, well, uh, you'll have to watch the first one. um, (laughs) Streaming it uh, after it's been performed. But you can still register for one of those, correct?
1: Absolutely. It it will be available until June 18th.
0: Okay. Um, I've seen the play. It's really amazing. Um, your work is great. Uh, I'm glad I can watch it virtually. Thank you. And I do look forward to getting, getting to the real theater and, and sitting down with the audience as well. Um, so thanks for your work, for the time visiting. And I'm just going to ask you to give one more um, so people can get the website and they can register and learn more about both the organization and how to uh, watch these two plays.
1: Our website is www.theaterj.org, and theater is spelled uh, T-H-E-A-T-E-R. So theaterj.org, and the Yiddish Theater Lab is right on our homepage.
0: Great. Thanks Thanks again, um, and look forward to more conversations about this. Um, Thank you so take much. Take care. Stay well. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Bleichfeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.